0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we kicked off the year 2022, we we used a, a theme for our sermon series simply entitled, A New Year, A New You. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be a new creation. How it is that we take up a cross when we follow Jesus. And today, we want our lives shaped by the kind of love that God demonstrated to us first. Today, we'll talk about how our Christian life is all about love. For some of you, this might be a short trip. For others, you might have to stretch your minds just a little bit. But I want you to think back to your grade school days. And I want you to think, how did my teachers or teacher hand out discipline when I was in grade school? Or if you want to share with somebody next to you, if you feel comfortable, go ahead and do that. Not many people want to share it. No personal experience, right? You can't remember because it never happened to you. All right, how about this? How many of you, how many of you got, had to stay in for recess if you were not, you know, behaving the way that you were supposed to? Okay, that's pretty common. Any isolation where you had to sit your desk off into the corner somewhere and kind of be by yourself? Okay, a few of those. I've never heard this one except in my own personal experience but my grade school teacher from 5th to 8th grade used to hand out dictionary entries. Anyone? So, phew, I got a few nods. So he would literally come over to our desk, drop the dictionary on the desk, let it fall open and point his finger and then say 20. Or if it was really bad, 40 or 50. Well, what did that mean, dictionary entries? It meant that every single symbol, every single word, had to be copied, point for point, for 20 words. It was one of those times where you really wanted him to open to the X's because they're really short words and short definitions. We found out where you didn't want him to open to and one of those words was set, S-E-T. Do you know that there are over 400 senses to the word set that are defined in the dictionary? And that dictionary entry, just one entry, is somewhere around 30,000 characters long. I wish I could tell you I had no experience in writing dictionary entries, but that's how I learned what a schwa was. You know what that is? That little backwards upside down E? Yeah, had to write a lot of those in my dictionary entries. There was a second one that we didn't really care to get very often, and I'm sure there were others too, but I remember the word love. You didn't really want our teacher, to open to the word love because that definition was quite long as well. And I think you understand why. We have so many different senses for the word love, don't we? We talk about our love for pizza or our love for our pet, our love for family, love for the Wisconsin Badgers, love for our job, love for Jesus. And we don't love them all the same way, do we? At least I hope we don't. And so when we think about the word love, this attachment that we have to something or, or someone, a fondness that we have for them, while those are fine definitions of the word love, they don't quite measure up to the kind of love that the Apostle Paul speaks about today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The kind of love God has for you and the kind of love that God wants to see in our lives as well. And so as we spend a little time in 1 Corinthians 13 today, we'll use this as our theme, that this is all about love. And and a deeper look at these words will first of all remind us that our love falls short, but that God's love never fails. Will you listen again with me to the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want to back up with you just for a little bit for the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote these words in chapter 13. If you go back to the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will see that once again the Corinthians needed some instruction from Paul. I'm sure as you've read through those letters, First and Second Corinthians, you've noticed that the Corinthians were a group of Christians who were extremely gifted. God had given them blessings that were quite unique and pretty amazing in some cases. But so often along with those gifts came this misunderstanding of how they should be used. So in chapter 12 the apostle Paul spends almost the entire chapter explaining that the Christian church all believers are like a body, the body of Christ. And just as a body is made up of all kinds of different parts that all have different functions, it is still one body. Paul says the same is true of the church. There is One body, though the many members of that body, have all kinds of different gifts. You see, what was going on with the Corinthians is that they were wondering which gift is the best. Maybe even caught it at the start of chapter 13 when Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, that was one of the gifts that the Corinthians put a high value on. This idea that someone could speak in another language even if they had never studied it. They wanted gifts not for the sake of others, but for the sake of themselves. And that's where the trouble came in. At the very end of chapter 12, Paul writes two phrases which summarize why he goes into what he does in chapter 13. He he reminds the Corinthians, first of all, to eagerly desire the greater gifts, the gifts that build up the body of Christ. And then he says this, and now... Now I will show you the most excellent way. Those first three verses demonstrate so clearly what Paul's talking about, doesn't he? If you have the greatest spiritual gifts, if you have a faith that can move mountains, if you're able to speak in the tongues of men and angels, but you do all of that without love, it's just noise. It's just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, spiritual gifts mean nothing. It's love that gives those spiritual gifts their value. So the Apostle Paul gives us his definition of love. You probably have heard these words a time or two, maybe at a wedding that someone had, and they are beautiful. Listen again to what God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul in these words, love in my pre-marriage classes with couples have talked about 1 Corinthians 13 an awful lot because they are beautiful words. And if a husband and wife are looking to get married, following that kind of love for their marriage will certainly be a huge blessing. But I always point out one thing. These verses are not gospel. They aren't good news. They're actually law. It's actually God telling us how he expects us to love, how he expects us to live. This description is is amazing because it is at the same time beautiful and daunting. It's beautiful because who wouldn't want love like that? Who wouldn't want to surround themselves with people who are patient and kind and never envying, never boasting, not proud, not rude? Of course that's what we want but daunting because it's exactly what God requires of you and me. It's quite a list. Did you catch it as we read through those verses that that this kind of love that Paul demonstrates, it's not a feeling, it's not a fondness for something, it's about character. It defines who we are. And in that character, that that love defines us, it's really action. It's what we do that demonstrates that kind of love. It's exactly what Jesus said to the disciples that Monday, Thursday evening. They will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. So maybe you're sitting there right now going, well, how? How in the world can anyone love the way God expects us to love? I don't know about you but I don't even have to go past the first word in that list. Love is patient. I'm not sure if Paul chose that word purposely to be first just for me but sometimes I wonder. I'm guessing that as you heard that list read that any one of us could tick off a whole bunch of instances even in just the last couple of days where we haven't been as loving as what Paul describes. And maybe we, we pause for a minute to say, okay, yeah, I'm not perfect. Nobody could love perfectly like that. But, but at least if I am in comparison with others, if I, if, I, if I line myself up against other people in this world, well, I'm more loving than a lot of others, right? Isn't that a way that we like to deceive ourselves or Satan likes to deceive us? Thinking that somehow, as long as we're kind of good, that's good enough? But maybe you heard the word always in this section. You see, loving isn't a sometime thing the way God wants us to love. Loving isn't a most-of-the-time thing. It is an all-the-time, an always thing. It's what God requires of us. Always. I think, like me, you too have to throw your hands up in the air and say, fail. There's no way I can love the way God wants me to love. That kind of love that God defines, it's foreign to you and to me. It's foreign in this world, too, with one very notable exception. My guess is that as you've listened to the Greek language, which is a little bit different than English, where love has some different words that describe different ways to love, the one that stands out in the Greek New Testament is the word agape. You've probably heard that word before. Oftentimes, people define the word agape as this idea of unconditional love, a love that gives without expecting anything in return. And there's nothing wrong with those definitions, but they don't quite encompass everything that's involved when God loves, when God is the one agapeing, loving others. You see, with God, love is always action. Love does. And God's love and action is found at one place, the cross of Jesus. As Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said to him, God loved the world so that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, anyone who believes in him, would not perish but have eternal life. Do you see God's love in action? That's how God loves. He loves by doing. He loves by demonstrating that love to others. Maybe the three words that Paul ends this little section with in chapter 8 cover it most of all. Love never fails. That's God's perfect love. It never fails. Where we fail to love, where we don't do what we're supposed to do, It's God's love that stands in for us. It's God's love that was perfect in our place. You see, where we fail, God never does. And that perfect love is what covers your sins yesterday, today, and always. Again, there's one place. If you need to remind yourself of what God's perfect love looks like, look no further than the cross of Jesus. Do you remember what happened as Jesus was being crucified? As the soldiers drove nails into his hands and feet, do you remember what he prayed? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When you read that description, just substitute the word Jesus for the word love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't boast. Jesus is not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He keeps no record of wrongs. You see, Jesus had no ego. It wasn't about him. He came to seek and to save the lost. And his faithfulness to his heavenly Father's mission was an always thing. Every minute of every hour of every day, Jesus was faithful and lived in your place. I don't know if you caught it, but it's actually my favorite phrase in there when I think about substituting the word Jesus for love Keeps no record of wrongs. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Again, as we stand in the mirror of God's law, we know our failures. We know we haven't loved as God wants us to. And yet, what does God see? A record that's been erased. A record that's clear. A record that's been expunged. A record that says, you're perfect. You're perfect because my son was perfect in your place. That's what's changed in you and me. That's what God's love accomplishes. God can say through the prophet Jeremiah, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. We're free. Free from sin, from the guilt of sin, from the shame of sin. It's all washed away in the blood of Jesus. God sees us as holy and blameless. And then as Jesus spoke to his disciples, "We see you, God's purpose. He loved us in that way, so that we then in turn, can love others. That same selfless love of Jesus, the love that sacrificed for us, Jesus asks us to do the same thing. I know how hard that is. I know how easy it is to want what's best for me, to put my needs first to demand my rights rather than thinking about what's best for others. But you see, we can do that without worry because the same God who loved you and me so much to send his son to die for us, he's going to graciously give us all things. He's going to take care of us. If we put ourselves out there and are sacrificial and selfless in our love for others, we have Jesus who is still with us to the very end of the age. As we think about the new you that we have been made through faith in Jesus, one of the marks of that new you is love. God's love for us that makes us all about love for others. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, all our efforts to love perfectly will fall short. You know that sin stands in our way of being able to love, not just God perfectly, but our fellow human beings too. Number two, perfect love is found in and was lived by our Savior Jesus. That's what makes you stand before God holy and blameless with a cleared and expunged record of wrongs because God remembers them no more. And number three, Jesus put us first and strengthens us to love others in the same way. When we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, we no longer live for ourselves but for the one who loved us. Who died for us and was raised again. I'm sure you know that as he spoke to his disciples about the end approaching, Jesus gave this mark of the end times. He said, The love of most will grow cold. It's not easy to hear those words, is it? You don't have to look very far around the world to see that there's quite a bit of evidence of that in our world today. It seems like people are living angrier and angrier, demanding more for themselves and thinking less of others. We live in a cancel culture where frustration seems to boil over every single day. The world could use some love, couldn't it? Look what we have to give. First and foremost, we have the love of our Heavenly Father, a love that gave everything for us, his own Son. And as we reflect on that love, it's Jesus who fills us with love for him so that we in turn can love others. Yes, our sins, the debt of our sin has been canceled. That's the news that we can share with others. And, and, and when we love others as Jesus did, that's when God works in this world through his own love. Let's strive in this new year to love. First of all, by reflecting on Jesus' love for us, And then reflecting that love in our love for others, let's make this new year all about love. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.